Amen for that solid rock. Take your Bibles if you would. Let's stand this morning if you're able to. Ezra chapter number one over in the Old Testament book. Ezra, Nehemiah. Ezra chapter number one. I've entitled the lesson today, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Boy, we need to get a hold of that principle, don't we? God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And uh, that's, listen folks, we are all in the Lord's business and it's all about him this morning and I, I trust that God will use the message in your life today. And uh, I've grown very fond of a couple books in the Old Testament. Of course, I love the whole Bible, but I love these uh, books, Ezra and Nehemiah. And I was sharing some things yesterday with uh, some of our men and, and as I was sharing some things, uh, Brother Flynn was telling me, he says, Pastor, that's, that's right there is where I'm going to be in Sunday school tomorrow morning. And it seems like God just has a way of working things out. What a blessing it is just to see God working in our lives. How many of you are interested in doing God's work God's way? And uh, listen, after all, this isn't my church. This isn't your church. This is his church. And uh, that's tonight. That's what we're going to talk about is the church. You know what we are? We're the church of the living God. The other religions can't say that, but we are the church of the living God, and we praise the Lord that God allows us to be a part of His work, and we want to do things God's way, and we know that as we do things His way, that God will provide. That's what the Bible teaches us, uh, that, that He will provide for us. So this morning, Ezra chapter 1, and the first six verses we will read for our text. The Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus... King of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. By the way, this man, we'll look at this this morning, but this man was not a Jew, and he was not a believer. But I want you to catch what we just read. Look at it again. He says, Cyrus says, and he put it in writing, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Here's a man that recognized what he had was something that God gave to him. I wish that all of us would understand that, would be thankful for the many blessings of God on our lives. And this man was so, he realized this, he put it in writing, and notice it says here that he continues that he, God, hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you, he asked, of all his people, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. Uh, he is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priest and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God hath raised, God had raised, 
to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. And let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for the privilege that's ours to be a part of your work. And Lord, we know, we are confident that, God, you are sovereign, you're in control. And Lord, we know that you will continue to do your work in this world. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that and to have the desire to be a part of it. God, use us. Lord, thank you for the resources that you have given to us. We know that all good things come down from above. Lord, thank you for being such a wonderful God. Now, I pray that you'd help us this morning to understand the miracle that you have worked in Ezra's day, that you want to work in our day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> the passage this morning gives us some tremendous biblical principles on how we, not just Ezra, how we can do God's work, but we can do it God's way. See, Ezra was a godly priest. And by the way, he was a man that had a passion and had a great burden. In his day, what it was, was to see that the temple of God would be rebuilt. He was a man that wanted to see this accomplished. And, you know, when you think about it, over time, every house, every building, and sometimes every life is going to go through a period where it has to be reconstructed, remodeled, renewed from time to time. Uh, when I came here, this church, and I love what God has given to us, we ought to be thankful for this beautiful piece of property that God has given to us, this wonderful building. But when I got here, the building was about 17, 18 years old. And I realized that over those almost first 20 years, that things slowly start to wear out. Kind of like you and I. We, as we get older, we start to wear out, do we not? Uh, we won't be strong and have the strength and stamina that we had when we were in our teen years, in our 20s and 30s, and for some of us, even our 40s. But understand that I realized when I saw the building that if we don't do something, that the building will just continue to become more and more dilapidated and more and more outdated. And so from time to time, we have to maybe fix something. We may have to repaint something. We may have to rebuild something. And can I tell you that as you look around America, you find the same thing. I found statistically, and I don't mean to be a bearer of bad news, but 20% of all the bridges in America are structurally deficient. Now, don't be thinking that when you drive across one, but it's a reality that, listen, if they don't inspect the bridges, if they don't pay attention over time, the weight, the weather, and all those elements eventually take their toll. 50% of all the roads in America are in bad need of repair. See, yeah, a lot of them right here in Pembroke Pines. Did you see on the news this past week that lady that was in her SUV in Colorado and a sinkhole opened up and swallowed her entire SUV? Anybody see that? It's amazing. 
She's sitting in her car. Next thing you know, she's there and she's not there. I mean, Houdini. She was, and they, as soon as she went down in there, it started to fill up with water. And luckily, she said there was someone that pulled her out. She called him her angel. They said she would have died in that sinkhole had it not, and it was big enough to swallow her entire car. Folks, listen, over time, everything needs to be remodeled or repurposed along the way. So when we look at the passage this morning, what are we talking about? We're talking about something that is very important, and that is the advancement or the advancing of the work of God. How many of you know that God still wants to work in our day, right? God still has a work that he wants to do in our day. If God didn't, then guess what? The Lord would come back today, right now. And the Lord could do that, but until the Lord does, God has a plan. Now, to understand that, and God led me to this passage this week, let me give you a little bit of background to make sure that we all understand what's happening in Ezra chapter number one. If you study historically, God had allowed his children, the nation of Israel, to go into bondage in a land called Egypt. As a matter of fact, God recorded that time in the history of the nation of Israel, and he, and he put it into one of the books of our Bible. Anybody know what the name of that book is? Exodus, right? God allowed them to exit, to come out of Egypt's land, which is a type of the world. But as they left Egypt, just like many people, they were disobedient. God allowed them to come out, but in spite of what he wanted them to do, they disobeyed God. And the Bible tells us that they wandered around in the wilderness for how many years? 40 years. Now certainly, even when you find the wandering around in the wilderness, you have to understand that God's grace was still evident even in those wanderings because their shoes didn't wear out. And like last week, we talked about how God provided manna, right, from heaven and quails, that God gave them angels' food, that while they were in the desert, that God still, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their disobedience, God still provided for them. Isn't God good all the time? I mean, seriously, folks, you think about how many times we don't deserve, but yet God still blesses our lives. You know, ultimately what we deserve is to be from God for all of eternity. But God in his goodness protected them and God told them, the nation of Israel, during that time of wandering, that he wanted them to keep covenant with him. You know, God is a covenant God. God made covenants, promises, specifically to the nation of Israel. And by the way, those promises, some have been taken care of. Many of those will yet to be fulfilled that are promises just for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. But God, listen, wanted them to love him. God wanted them to worship him. And so as a result of that, what did Israel do? Just like they had done in the past, they rejected God. They began to worship false idols. Uh, they became paganistic. They began to worship gods like Baal and other false gods of their day. And as a result of that, what did God do? In time, God allows, and that's where we come to our text today, it, well, almost to our text today, God allows an enemy to come and basically take these people 
and destroy where they were living, the city of Jerusalem, and the Babylonian Empire comes and invades. And they destroy everything in their path. Babylon invaded Judah in 586, and as a result, the armies of Persia, which we just read about uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, that the army of Persia came from 700 miles away and took the people of God and took them out of their homeland and took them into slavery, back into bondage. Now, they were there in that position as, because of the sin in their lives. And so the passage today brings us back to the place that because of uh, the enemy of God, that where they lived, their home, it was completely destroyed. Everything, which includes the temple of God, the place that they worshiped God. So when you think about the passage, the Bible known as the book of Ezra, this is a place where Ezra got a burden, a passion for the house of God. In other words, a place to worship God. Now, when you come to the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, the book of Nehemiah is also a, a particular place you can go to where you see God working on the heart of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah's day, it was about going back and rebuilding the wall around the city of Jerusalem. Now, walls are very important because they were there for protection. They were there to keep the enemies out. And as we had a, the privilege and opportunity to, recently to go to the Holy Land, and we saw how uh, there were many places that we went, and especially around the city of Jerusalem, that you could see some of the foundation and some of the walls and how you could see the difference in the stones and the color of the stones. And they were telling us that this section of the wall was from this era, and this section of the wall was rebuilt upon that foundation. And we got a very good close-up look about what it was like that those walls were broken down. Matter of fact, if you study Nehemiah, you find him talking about how he was on his horse, and he was riding around through those ruins, and there was just rubble and stone piled up on top of each other that at one time had been some great walls that separated the world, the enemies of God, from the very city of God. And that's the book of Nehemiah. But when you come to the book of Ezra, you find in Ezra that he and many others wanted to restore the temple of God, the place to come and worship God. And I love the fact that when I think about that, that God allows them to go. You know what that means? That God is actually the God of second chances. The truth is he's the God of third chances, fourth chances. God amazes me. And, and, and listen, when I think about how many times I have failed God and how many times God has given me another opportunity. Wherever you are today in your life, maybe this passage this morning, this message will strike a chord in your heart that God's wanting you to understand, yes, you are where you are, maybe because it's something you did, but that God wants to give you another opportunity. God wants you to serve Him and to worship Him and most of all to love Him. But when you think about this passage this morning, here's what I thought of is how there, these Jews, thousands of these Jews, they were taken into Babylon. We, we read in our Bible, remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Those three Hebrew boys that would not bow down 
Remember what happened to them? They were thrown in the burning, fiery furnace. Where did that happen? In Babylon. They were ripped from their homes. And listen, they, they stood for God in a day when no one else would stand for God. I think about another young man of that time, Daniel. I love the small book of Daniel. And boy, how rich it is, especially in that last half of the book of Daniel about some of the things that Daniel talks about and prophesies about. But listen, Daniel in his day, remember what Daniel did three times a day? What did he do? He prayed. Who did he pray to? He prayed to God, right? He didn't pray to Baal. He prayed to his God, the God of heaven. And you remember what happened in Daniel's day? Some people didn't like that, that Daniel was a little fanatical when it came to his God. They didn't want Daniel to pray to his God, so they went to the king and they made up a pack of lies and they got the king to sign an edict, a, 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 formal, a formal document that said that if anybody would not bow down to the king, that they would be thrown where? In a den of lions. You guys have been in Sunday school, haven't you? I can tell. But you know, you think about how these young men and many others that we don't know about, that they were in captivity for 70 years, 700 miles from home. Sounds like a pretty bleak picture, does it not? But when you come to Ezra, what's amazing is, is that in spite of all that, God, in His grace and mercy, promised His people that if they would repent, if they would turn back to Him, that He would allow them to go back to their homeland. And that's what you see here is how that God's grace is towards them, even in their unfaithfulness, how God allows them to return that, that in, this, in this time that there were some, as we read about, we'll look at this morning, who were holy people. They had a desire to know God, to rebuild the temple of God. And one of those individuals was the man whose book, this, uh, this book we look at this morning, bears his name, and that is the man known as Ezra. Look what Jeremiah the prophet wrote in Jeremiah 29, verse number 10. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished, at Babylon I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Hey, look, God knew what he was doing. God was going to be good to his word. Look, not one promise of God has ever fallen to the ground. God was going to make good with his promise to his people. And again, maybe they got to the place that after 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 or 60 years, maybe they thought God doesn't love us. If God loved us, we wouldn't be in this awful mess. But the truth is, God does love you. Many times we put ourselves in those situations. And can I tell you this morning that God cares about you. He loves you. God cares about all of us. He loves us unconditionally. As we think about this this morning, let's try to understand about how we, like Ezra in his day, how can we do God's work and do it God's way? Now remember, if we do it God's way, we won't lack God's supply. So notice, first of all, I see in verse number one of Ezra 1, 
there was a sovereign stirring. A sovereign stirring. The Bible, again, amazes me how it says here in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation. Notice there was a sovereign stirring, but this was from a heathen king. This man was not a, a Jew. He was, he, he was not a believer, but he was the ruler at that time of the entire world. Look, folks, if you haven't studied it out, and I can remember briefly from history when I was a kid about the great Babylonian empire. In this day, it was really honestly the entire world of that day. This man, Cyrus, he was a very uh, powerful man and The truth is, is that even though he had all these things, he did not know God. He, he, look, he, God began to work in Cyrus and unsaved. He began to touch his heart. He began to help Cyrus to understand that, listen, I want to use you to build or rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Look at Isaiah said in Isaiah 44, thus saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Remember, this might be Isaiah saying this, recording this, but all scriptures give my inspiration of God. And God says that Cyrus is my shepherd. In other words, I'm going to use this man to do my will. And let's read on. The Bible says, to perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Now you understand folks this morning, this honestly what we're talking about, God using this man Cyrus is truly a miracle of God. That God began to work in his heart, that Cyrus had a desire to build the temple. Some actually even say that part of the reason Cyrus did what he did, and we know it was God working, but many believe that Daniel, one of those captives, had great influence on this king known as Cyrus. Look what the Bible says in Daniel 6 and verse number 8. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You know what that means? What Daniel did in his life, and the same is true about you and me, the way we live our lives is either going to influence people to do what is right in the sight of the Lord or what is wrong in the sight of the Lord. And Daniel influenced this man, this king known as Cyrus, the Persian. Look, you might be the only one in your workplace tomorrow and this entire week that actually has told everybody, I'm a Christian. You might be the only young person at school or maybe a a person in your 20s or a little older that's going to college that might have told everybody around you or in your classes, I'm a Christian. Can I tell you that just like Daniel in his day, God put you where you are. God gave you that job so that you can have an opportunity, just like Daniel did, to be a godly influence to Cyrus, the king of Persia. And so God put him there for a reason. And notice that as we understand this morning that it's a sovereign stirring, how God began to work in the heart of Cyrus, that it was from a heathen king. But notice, secondly, it was for a heavenly purpose. Why did God do this? Well, look in verse number two. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me 
all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So we see here that as the Bible tells us, and we know it's true, that the Bible says in Proverbs 21, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. God is the one that actually stirs up. Notice, he turneth it whithersoever he will. While they were in slavery, while they were 70 years in captivity, God was still in control, that God was sovereign. One of the ladies over the years that I've read a little bit about, and I've always been touched whenever I think about her life and what all she went through. And if you've never read much about Helen Keller, she's an amazing woman. And Helen Keller was asked one time, what would be worse than being born blind? And here's what Helen Keller said without hesitation. She said, being born with sight and having no vision. You see, we can see physically every day. But do we really see what God is trying to do in our lives, through our lives? In other words, His work. Many times we don't see it. We don't understand why we're here. God is going to do his work. And look, folks, if this, te this text this morning, it ought, to, it ought to encourage you that if God can do something in, in such an unusual way through a heathen king, that if you are saved this morning, God wants to do something very unusual, very unique in and through your lives. And so we see this morning a sovereign stirring that God begins to move on the heart of a heathen king, but he did it with a heavenly purpose. But then notice, secondly, that as there was the sovereign stirring, that I see a selective calling. That as God begins to work in Cyrus's heart, that he is also going to call his people. Now again, God is using Cyrus, but can I tell you this morning that God's work will not get done unless God is using some vessel, some people that is willing for God to work. If you notice the sign this morning, uh, when you pulled into the church, God is willing if we are able, or, or if we are willing, God is able, sorry. And so understand this morning that we have to be willing to do whatever it is that God wants us to do, because as we understand one thing is true this morning, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we were to think or ask. And God begins to work in Cyrus's heart. But notice, the calling of God was not to Cyrus. God stirred his heart. But notice, the calling was to, first of all, a serious people. A serious people. Look at verse number three. The Bible says as Cyrus is putting in writing, notice the question that he asked. Who is there among you of all his people his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. See, God wants to do his work, but here's what God is doing. God is asking, just in, in Ezra's day and in our day, God is asking, who wants to go? Who wants to go up to Jerusalem for me? Who wants to go do a work for me. Uh, which of you are all in? Now remember, 
they were 700 miles from home. They had been in captivity for 70 years, but what is God asking them to do? God is saying, how many of you or which of you wants to actually get involved in doing my work? Paul addressed this to the church in Philippi. Notice again, and we saw this in our Sunday school, for it is God which worketh in you. God worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God was wanting to do a work. Can I tell you today, God is still wanting to do a work in our day. The God of Ezra is our God. God still desires to do something great and mighty in our day. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is he, right? And we understand this morning that Cyrus, God stirred him up. And Cyrus is asking God's people, here's what he's saying. This heathen king is saying, which one of you actually loves God? I mean, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to show it. Which one of you would go? I mean, the temple is lying in ruins. Who, which of you will actually go and help? And so we notice in verse number five, the Bible says, then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah. You see, the fathers were leading the way. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that many came, when the call came, when God allowed them to go back to their homeland, many of them did return. They made that journey. By the way, remember, there's no automobiles and planes and all those types of things. Many times you travel by foot, uh, might have a beast of burden, but 700 miles, many of them did return, but many of them didn't come all the way back. It's amazing you studied out. Here's what happened. Some of them stayed in Babylon. They'd been there for 70 years. It's sad how some of them just settled in. Now, no doubt, I would imagine some had gotten up in years, 70 years. To make a journey like that would have been catastrophic. They probably wouldn't be able to make that kind of journey and at their, at their age. And so the Bible tells us that some of them did stay. They, 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 maybe they didn't want to go back for various reasons. But one thing's for sure, if God was going to work a miracle, they were going to miss out on it. But nevertheless, they stayed. But here's the best part. Even though they stayed, they still had a part. Even though they remained in Babylon, they still had a part. See, God is looking today for a people, a serious people. People that are willing to go all the way for God and people that may not be able to go all the way but are all in. Are you with me this morning? God is still looking for a serious people. Somebody said a worldly church cannot and will not reach the world. And what it's going to take, just like Cyrus said, is, is which of you are serious about God? Which of you, your God is with you? You love God. So the call was to a serious people. But watch this. It was also to a sacrificial people. Go to verse number four in our text. The Bible says, whosoever remaineth. These are the people that stayed. He says, where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him. Talking about those that do go back with silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, beside the free will offering. 
for the house of God which that is in Jerusalem. Now what's this about? This sacrificial people. See, some went back to lay the structure, to lay the foundation, but understand that it was going to take resources. And so those that stayed in Babylon, you know what they did? They supported financially those that went back, and they did it with what the Bible calls a free will offering. Now, what's a free will offering? It's voluntary. It's something that is not mandatory. When you study the Bible, you find that the scriptures tell us that according to the word of God, the tithe is the Lord's. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Remember we talked last week about the fact that God gave them that manna. And remember he told them, he says, look, that every one of you go out every morning and collect the daily supply, the provision of God. And God says an omer for each person, about two quarts per person. And God says, look, I'm going to do this to find out if you're going to obey me. In other words, some, they tried to hoard more than they should have. And remember what happened to it? It became full of worms. There was no refrigeration in the day. They couldn't hang on to it. It began to spoil, and it was good for nothing. And God says, look, I, I, I'm going I'm to give to you, and I'm going to prove, I want you to prove yourselves. How many of you know that that's exactly what God does in our day when God gives to us? You think, I think about God gave me four children. Those children, according to the Word of God, the Bible says children are in heritage of the Lord. God wants me to prove that He is God, He is Lord of my life, and God's given me those children. Now watch this. He gave me those children to steward for Him, to raise for Him, for the honor and glory of God. And what I do with them is going to prove to God that I really do trust Him. Well, the same thing comes with our finances. You know, here they are. Think about it. They've been in captivity for 70 years but isn't it interesting, just like when they left Egypt's land and they spoiled the Egyptians, how they're in Babylon and some that had been in captivity for 70 years had gold and silver and other precious things that they could give to supply? Don't that strike you as God's still working in miraculous ways? And I find here that the Bible tells us that God is going to give us things to prove us. Look at the Bible says in Psalm 26 and verse 2, Examine me, excuse me, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. God's going to allow us to have some things. You know who some of the most miserable people in the world are? People who have everything. Lottery winners. Oh, they're excited when they win. But they're some of the most miserable, broke people you've ever met in your life. He who dies with the most toys does not win. But yet that's the philosophy of life. Look what Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, said, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse is an Old Testament type of the church today. And the Bible says that we're to bring the tithe, the 10%, into the storehouse, the house of God, that 
it, there may be meat in mine house and prove me. There it is again. Now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a what? A blessing. That there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, some people say, see, there you go again. That's all the church wants is my money. No, you missed it. God doesn't need your money. You know what God wants? He wants your obedience. And your obedience is directly connected to your heart. God says, I'm going to prove you. And oftentimes we struggle. But this offering that, that we see in Ezra was not dealing with the tithe. You say, wait a minute. So it wasn't about the tithe. What was it? It was a free will offering. It was something above the tithe. Whoa, you did, Pastor, you just stepped into a totally different realm right there. You mean that I'm supposed to give beyond the tithe? Yes. You see, that's where the blessings of God, because think about it, the tithe is the Lord's. You take the tithe, which is God's, you're robbing from God, Malachi said. But look, far beyond that is the blessings of God. God says, look, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour you out a blessing that you will not be able to receive it. And many times we think to ourselves, why doesn't God bless? And it's oftentimes because of our disobedience. But here's what we find in the passage is the offering here was about a gift, but the gift was a gift from the heart. This was a free will. It wasn't mandated. It was beyond the tithe. God wanted them to have a part in supporting the work of God back in Jerusalem. And so this was their own of their own free will. But here's the best part. Watch this. They wanted to participate. They wanted to be a part of this offering. And they gave silver and gold and other precious things for the work of God. Look at Ezra in your notes, Ezra 8, 28. The Bible says, And I said unto them, Ye are holy unto the Lord. The vessels are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering unto the Lord God of your fathers. Did you catch that? That as we give, we don't give to the church, we give to the Lord through the church. That our gifts are given directly to God. George Sweeting, who was the pastor of the great Moody Church for many, many years, George Sweeting said, when we come to the end of life, the question will be, how much have you given, not how much have you gotten? I think he understood it. You see, when we see the Lord one day and all that we have done for God, we will have no regrets. When I think about what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, every man according as he purposeth it in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. The word is hilarious. That's the actual word. That's the kind of giver God loves. He loves a hilarious giver. So I'm sitting here on the aisle. Here comes the offering plate. Oh, boy, I get to give. But you know, from up here on the platform, a lot of times that's not what the pastor sees. Is oh, my goodness, you know. I see people moving and squirming and going to the bathroom and all. Hey, folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Be a cheerful giver. You know why? Because God has given all of it to you, but you know what he asked? Just for 10%. Many times we think, but I just, I, I just don't know. Look, every man, not some, not the rich, 
Every man, it's equal giving, equal sacrifice. One old preacher said one day, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grouch too. You know? God sees what we give, but God also sees our heart when we give. And when we give, what we need to do is we need to give joyfully as unto the Lord. We need to give as they give. We need to give sacrificially. There was a chaplain one day, and he was ministering true story to a soldier that was in the hospital and he said to the soldier you have lost an arm in a very great cause and the soldier looked up at him with a tear in his eye and he said I didn't lose it I gave it and can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ the son of God didn't lose his life he gave it willingly when I think about what's going on in this passage, look, we have to understand that it's so important that we, look, folks, don't give God your leftovers. God deserves your best. God deserves, he is deserving of our best. There was a husband and he loved his wife. He went on a business trip. And while he was gone, he was thinking about his wife, you know, and he wanted to get something for her that when he returned, he could give it to her. And he, so he went to the store, he walked up to the counter, and he asked the lady working behind the counter, he says, how much is this perfume right here? And the sales lady said, well, that right there is $30. And the man looked at it and he said, $30 for that little bottle? And she said, yes. And he says, well, can you show me something cheaper? And she said, I sure can. And she reached down underneath the counter and she pulled out a mirror and stuck it in his face. <laughs> you know what we're always looking for? We're always looking for a deal, are we not? And you know what we do with God sometimes? Is we try to make a deal with God. Okay, God, I'll, I'll do this, but I won't do this. I don't see that spirit in our passage today. I see a people that, yes, they were being led by somebody, but, but I see a people that wanted to see God's work be done God's way. And as they had that heart to do things God's way, God was going to supply. So they gave a willing, willing offering, free will. See, I find here that there was a sovereign stirring. God reached into the heart of a heathen king for a heavenly purpose. And then I see that there was a selective calling. You know, God's still looking for a serious people today. God's also looking for a people that is sacrificial. But then I see something that I think makes it all worthwhile. Notice, thirdly, there was a successful completion. It brings us back to our thought this morning. How do we rebuild something for God? The temple was destroyed. It needed to be rebuilt. I think about people's lives and how many times, because of sin, they're destroyed. And they need to be rebuilt. And I think about this passage today, and I see, first of all, if it was going to be a successful completion, it was going to have to begin with the participation in giving. Take your Bibles and go over with me to Ezra chapter number 2. 
Look what the Bible says in this passage in verse number 69. It says this about the people of Ezra's day. They gave after their ability under the treasure of the work three score and 1,000 drams of gold and 5,000 pounds of silver and 100 priest garments. Verse 70, so the priest and the Levites and some of the people and the singers and the porters and the Nethanims dwelt in their cities and all Israel in their cities. They gave, the Bible says, of their ability. The people got involved. Randy Alcorn said, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives to us to prove us. And God has always uh, given to us more than we deserve. I think every one of us, if people say to me sometimes, how are you doing? And I, a lot of times I'll say, as I heard years ago, better than I deserve. I've got a, a roof over my head. I've got a car to drive. I've got clothes to wear. I've got food to eat. I've got a wonderful family. Hey, listen, God's been good, has he not? God gives us more than we deserve, and we enjoy the gifts of God. But can I tell you that we should enjoy those gifts humbly? God doesn't prosper us again, as Alcorn said, to raise our standard of living. He, he, he blesses us, he prospers us to raise our standard of giving. God gives to us so that we can be a part of his work. Look in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap how? Sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully shall reap how? Bountifully. It's that law of sowing and reaping. I mean, you go ahead and give God a penny and see what happens. I mean, folks, we've got an opportunity in our lives to trust God, allow God to prove us. Folks, listen, I, I'm not bragging on myself this morning. I'm bragging on my God. But I remember the day when I sold my house in the state of Missouri and I moved to Tennessee without a job and without uh, income. And people thought, even my own family thought, son, I thought I raised you better than that. I thought you knew better than that. What about your family? You're going to starve to death. No, God's in control. I moved to the state of Tennessee, and it's, it's an amazing thing. I could tell you sometime how God began to bless, how God began to open up the windows of heaven, how God began to pour us out a blessing. And as you can tell, I hadn't missed too many meals along the way. I think about how years later, God had put us back in the state of Missouri, and this time God said, hey, listen, I want you to go all halfway across the United States to the state, the, the land of the fruits and nuts. That's California. It was back in the days of the governor, and some of you know Arnold Schwarzenegger, the beloved governor over there in California, and God sent us over there, but guess what? God sent us all the way there without a job, without an income, without a way to provide for our family. Say, Pastor, are you, are you a little loco? Are you don't understand that it takes money, it takes provisions, you've got to provide for your family? Hey, I understand that, but I know this, that God proved me over and over and over again. And God says, look, if you just participate, I will supply. If you step out, I'll part the waters. If you do what I ask you to do, you'll see heaven open and you'll see blessings 
that you cannot contain and you cannot control, but many times we don't trust God. And the Bible says that we need to trust Him in all ways, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might. The songwriter says, all you may need, He will provide. God will take care of you. Nothing you ask will be denied. God will take care of you. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. We serve a great God. But if we sow sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. But if we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. See, it. the success was because the people got involved. There was a participation in giving. But notice, I also see that as they got involved, then there was the placement of the foundation. Take your Bibles and go to Ezra chapter 3. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is what? He's good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You know what happens? They must have had some teenagers there that were shouting amen. They must have had some people that say, hey, look, God has been good to us. And we see the foundation. They begin to make a noise. Why? Because they realize how great their God was because it wasn't too long before this happened that guess where they were at? in slavery. Guess where they were at? In captivity. Guess where? They weren't in their own beds. They weren't eating their own food. They were prisoners, but yet God delivered them, and there was a reason to celebrate. You know why? Because the work of God was going forward. You see, I find here that there was a participation. The people got involved. They became a part of the giving. The foundation was laid, but then notice, and look at letter C, I see the preaching of the prophets. Look at chapter number five. Go over another page or two to chapter five and verse number one. The Bible says, Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews which were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua the son of Jehozadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God. What's those last two words? Helping them. You know what that means? They needed the preaching of the Word of God. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. You know what? I need preaching. You need preaching. This world needs preaching. America needs pulpits to be on fire. The preaching of the Word of God because it's the preaching of the Word that begins to stir the hearts of God's people to get involved, to see the work of God go forward and the preachers of God help them. Well, how are they helping them? They were declaring the truth to the people of God and the truth is that they and we need God. The people began to work and while they were working, guess what? Old Zerubbabel was standing there preaching at them. He was letting them have it with the word of God. Thus saith the Lord, this is what you ought to be doing. Haggai was another one of those. Look what the Bible says. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God 
and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. They then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the people stirred up, the, the, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You know what the preaching did? The preaching set them in the right direction. It got them on the right path. It began to help them to establish their lives and their temple and the place of worship and their city and their world. Can I tell you today that what we still need in this world today is the preaching of the truth of the Word of God. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. You can listen to everything this world has to offer, but if it's not the preached Word of God, it has no effect in our lives. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and we need the truth today. That's what we need. You see, I find that as the preaching was going on, the foundation was laid. Why? Because the people got involved. But then notice, I see letter D, the pronouncement of victory. Go over one more chapter to chapter number 6. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, and the elders of the Jews. Look at this. Don't leave me out. I might be up in years, but I want to be a part of it. Don't leave me out. Look, you might let those young people get involved. But the Bible says here in verse 14, the elders of the Jews builded and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now notice I see here that they finished the job that God gave them. Folks, that's what we need to do. We need to finish the God, job that God's given to us. How do you do that? Same way they did it in their day. Hey, look, it's going to come through praying. It's going to come through going. It's going to come through giving. It's going to come through sacrificing. It's going to come through working. It's going to come through preaching. In other words, they were doing all those things, but guess how they were doing them? together. The people were in one accord. They were working together. The temple of God was built and it was rebuilt for the glory of God. If we are willing to see what God is going to do, if we're willing to follow his voice, to obey him, then guess what? Just like in Ezra's day, we're going to find that our bodies, which are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that God will dwell in us and that God will speak to us and that God will work through us and that God will save and God will restore and God will supply and God will send out from this place. And I look, folks, I don't know about you, but I desire to see God work in my day. And we need to be a people that want to see God's work be done God's way. But if we do, God will supply. Let's bow our heads this morning. As we think this morning about how God worked in Ezra's day, folks, I'm going to tell you something. My one thought is, don't leave me out. I want to be like those elders. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. Hey, listen, I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. If God's doing something, I want to be in it. I want to be a part of it. I want to, I want to have a, a, a hand in it. I want, to, I want God to stir me. I want God to call me. And I want God to bring things to a completion in my day. Here's the question this morning. Are you all in? 
Are you all in? Is God with you? God's saying, look, am I on the throne of your heart? Do you know the Lord today? Because if you don't know the Lord, God has made a way. And His way is through His own dear Son, Jesus. Maybe the most important thing of your life is just like Cyrus, that you need to come to Christ. But if you are saved this morning, oh, I pray that across this auditorium and throughout our church body that God has stirred some hearts to say, I don't want to just be where I am. If God wants me to travel back, to get back to where I used to be, then so be it. I want to be where God is working a miracle. I want to have a part in it. And our hearts should be, Lord, whatever you're doing, I want to do your work, your way. Lord, bless this invitation this morning. Lord, I believe you're speaking to hearts, young and old. There may be somebody here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior. Lord, I pray today they would come, put their hand in your hand, believe in you for their eternal salvation. Lord, as you've spoken to your people, God, may we do business with you today. It's not a 700-mile journey. It's about a 50, 20, 30-yard step to the altar this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand with me?